This podcast, number 822, with Lawrence Hillman about his new book, Archetypes at Work, Evolving Your Story One Character at a Time, is brought to you by Remy Blumenfeld, a leading consultant and coach to business owners for his e-course entitled Standout Transformation for Content Company Founders. In this podcast, interview number 813, Greg and Remy discuss topics such as considering closing your business or reinventing yourself and your business, and the seven pain points of company founders and developing your niche. Remy has successfully built businesses, sold them, and helped hundreds of others navigate the maze that many business owners face when they are trying to take their businesses to the next level. If you want to learn more about Remy Blumenfeld and his program Stand Out, please visit his website at www.remyblumenfeld.com. That's R-E-M-Y-B-L-U-M-E-N-F-E-L-D.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to Greg and Lawrence Hillman about his new book, Archetypes at Work, Evolving Your Story One Character at a Time. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from St. Louis, Missouri is Dr. Lawrence Hillman. And um, I have known Lawrence for quite some time as an astrologer. And now he, not that he hasn't been delving in, but in the archetypes at work. Uh, Good day to you, Lawrence. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Well, it's a pleasure having you on and spending time with our listeners because uh, there's an opportunity for he, for our listeners today to not only learn about the archetypes, but really how to utilize those archetypes in the workplace. And I think that is as exciting, as important as anything. Uh, I want to let our listeners know a little bit about you, even though you are a returning guest to our show. Um, they would have to go back in the archives to <laughs> look at that podcast because that's been a while ago. Uh, Lawrence was born and raised in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, began his study of astrology at the age of 16, and has remained his passion for over 40 years. Uh, as a professional archetype coach, he specializes in helping his clients understand their deeper purpose and their life's calling, especially in these challenging times. Uh, in his role as consultant, he helps leaders and organizations understand their archetypal patterns and advises on higher level decision making. Um, he has lectured internationally and conducted workshops at the Globe Theater in London, taught at Finhorn, at Gene Houston's Mystery School, and at Pacifica Graduate Institute. And he has been a repeated guest lecturer at Washington University in St. Louis, which is where he's joining us from. Our prior interview um, was about his, we'll put a link in the blog to that as well. Uh, for those of you who are interested, he has a book out called Planets in Play, How to Reimagine Your Life Through the Language of Astrology, and the co-author of Alignments, How to Live in Harmony with the Universe. He holds a PhD in psychology uh, with a focus in transformative leadership and an MBA and a master's in construction management, as well as a degree in architecture. He's traveled extensively, he's fluent in five languages. So again, pleasure having you on uh, with us today and, and spending time with these listeners to discuss this because it is such a, 
uh, just truly lively discussion that we can have. And, you know, I, I, even though my listeners come from all walks of life, Lawrence, they're executives, they're middle management people, they're individuals, they're all seekers. They're all trying to learn something new about themselves and how they can apply that and the universe. Um, and I think let's start with really the basics, just so our listeners understand the foundation of archetypes. What are they? How can they be used to better understand the personalities of people that they work with or they interact with on a regular basis? It doesn't even necessarily have to be work. It could be a husband, wife, mother, father, child. Okay, so let's start there. Thanks for the question. It's a great question. So archetypes are the underlying patterns of human nature and, and also of human experiences. And they recur throughout history and across all cultures. So for instance, let's take the renegade. The renegade is an archetype. There's always that one person that doesn't fit into the mainstream. We all recognize that person from, from when we were in school or from any group we work in, or even in our families. In art, you have that one artist who breaks the rules. The inventor belongs here as well, the person who thinks outside of the box and discovers something new. There are, of course, famous leaders who are renegades, like Steve Jobs. So in our model, there are 10 different archetypes. Each of them is distinct as the renegade I just described. And so as later, um, if I have an opportunity to describe these to you, I hope that listeners will ask themselves just, you know, as a, re as a response to the description of the archetypes, which ones of these feels more comfortable, sort of like more of a lead actor when they step into the world, would they step more into that role or which feel really more offstage or less comfortable for them to, to participate. Just even with a renegade, some people might feel, oh, that's really not me. I don't like to stick my head out. I don't think I like to be part of the group. I'm not really um, someone who thinks outside of the box. Yet I might imagine that the group that you just described that is your audience, might very much, if they're seekers, they might want to go outside of the mainstream. And so the renegade might be quite prominent in the group of your listeners, as an example. Yeah, um, I, would, yeah. I would say so. And I want to let people see the book. Here is the book. Uh, this is the book we're talking about. And this is the book they should go out. There'll be a link to Amazon for them to go get a copy. Plus, I want to show them the two decks of cards as well, because we didn't have an opportunity to do that yet. There are cards you can get individually with this. We'll put a link to their website uh, so that you can learn more about this. Um, but the important thing is, um, and we'll get to that, um, but there's also an assessment. And I'd like you to kind of explain the five realms of order as well as correlating to the 10 archetypes that you just talked about and name each of these so that the listeners can have a reference throughout the podcast, because we're going to be talking more, we're going to be weaving all this in throughout the podcast. And I think if they can get a foundation here between the archetypes and the five realms, then they're going to have your model. Perfect. So we understand that this is a new way of thinking for many people. And we're very used to thinking in typology, you know, I'm this and therefore I'm not that. The archetypal model essentially says, that's not really how the world works. We really all have all of these 10 archetypes within us. But 10 is a large number to 
to, um, to sort of handle. And so we started out with five, with the way that we often divide our lives into anyway, five themes, if you want, that, that apply not just to life, but to leadership as well. These are sort of five broad areas that we call realms. The first one is order. It's essentially how we organize our lives, how we create structure in our lives. The second one is relationships, how we relate to ourselves and to others. The third is creativity, how we initiate new things. The renegade, of course, belongs there. <clears throat> the, um, the, uh, the, the, the fourth is change, how we let things die and then how things come back. Creativity, actually, the renegade belongs to, to change. I said that, um, I said that um, uh, backwards because there is a part of the the renegade that is also creative, but um, we, in our system, the renegade belongs to change. So the change is about how you renovate, how you reinvent things, how you let things die and, and let things, um, you know, reemerge in a new form. Right now, there's a lot of change going on in the world. And so the, the change realm is quite active in the, in our cultures create, uh, collectively. Action is the last one, which is how we accomplish things, how we get things done. So then we break these five realms down into two archetypes each. That's how we get from five to 10. So the first archetype that shows up is the sovereign. It's the, it, it, the sovereign brings order. Again, we're in the realm of order, two archetypes. The first one is the sovereign. The second one is the strategist. The sovereign brings order through vision and purpose. I'm at the center of things. I set the direction for a person or for um, a group um, by radiating from a center point outwards into the world. The strategist is a little different. The strategist brings order through structure and through mastery, often working more behind the scenes than directly in front of a group. So two different ways of creating order. In the relationship uh, realm, we have first the nurturer, which is about care and empathy, how we give others what they need, how we listen, grow and develop. Um, the lover, who is also part of the relationship realm, values, um, appreciates, uh, values other people in the sense of relating to them, um, appreciates beauty and, um, and focuses on what others and they themselves desire. So design and, and what's valuable and, and, and appeal and things like that belong to the lover. Mm -hmm. um, in the realm of creativity, we have first the dreamer which is accessing imagination and inspiration and um, is uncomfortable with them, is, is, is comfortable with the more unknown and the imaginative side of things. Whereas the storyteller, the other side of creativity is, uh, is effective communication and relating to others and making synthesis of complexities and things like that. So how we tell our stories, that's part of a creative process. Um, when we get to change, we have the, the renegade, Again, that's the part of us that is about invention and disruption. And the transformer brings about change through a more shamanic approach, mystery, regeneration, and then um, re-emergence kind of a thing. The warrior in the realm of action um, is assertive and has clear goals and is bravely challenging um, and defending and things like that in the world. They know their territory, whereas the explorer is an expansive optimist endlessly going out into the world and looking for adventure and truth. So that's how we come up with the 10 that are broken down into five realms um, 
two for each. Well, it's a great way for our listeners to understand the model. I think most people have a proclivity toward one of these, but it doesn't mean that in these archetypes, uh, uh, Lawrence, that we don't express uh, some or all of these at any point in our life, right? I mean, you've been an astrologist for a long time. So we watch what people go through. We know how they're affected by um, certain things that happen in their life. Um, Would that be true to state that, you know, yeah, maybe I have a proclivity toward, you know, being a lover or something like that. But the reality is all of these elements show up in my personality. Exactly. That's a a key point and a key difference to this, to personality assessments. So what we're saying is that all 10 archetypes show up in in all people at different levels, different levels of comfort, depending on how you were raised or your personality or what your culture emphasizes or doesn't emphasize. You know, things like boys don't cry and, and girls are not supposed to be aggressive and these kind of things in the culture can emphasize, can, can, can encourage a particular archetype to be um, more prevalent and or less prevalent in a person just because that's what's right to do. And then we have personality. Some people are naturally a certain, you know, more driven or aggressive than other people and things like that. So the warrior may be more prominent in them. But the essential idea that we all have all 10 is a departure from a typical way of thinking about ourselves because it allows us to become more future fit, more adapt to a changing world by adjusting and learning about and emphasizing different parts of us that we in the past perhaps have rejected or not really paid a lot of attention to. We say that there's a price that we pay for those um, archetypes that we don't relate to a lot uh, or that we reject or don't find important. So for instance, if you're a a driven leader who doesn't believe that the nurture is very important in leadership, nurturing, again, being about caring about people and things like that, or, or listening to people, or but it's just about get the job done. And, and then the price that you pay for that as a leader, as we've found in, in the field, is that you have a high turnover, for instance. And so people will say, well, I don't feel I belong there. This is not like a family. I don't feel taken care of. People don't care about me. HR isn't really very good. Those kind of things. And now you have um, people leaving all the time. And of course, any manager or leader will know that turnover is very costly. So there's a cost directly for not being very skilled at the nurture to an organization, for instance. That's just one example. And this is true for all 10 in an organization, in leadership, in a person. Um, we pay a price for those we're not very um, connected to. Well, you and can so- see how these would be, Lawrence, an opportunity for people inside of companies to understand their personalities and how they're working, especially in teams. Because, you know, when you're working in teams, you want to know who you're working with and how you're going to accomplish your end goal and objective. And that's an important element of all of this. And, you know, in the pitch for the book, you and your co-author, and I forgot to mention him and I apologize, uh, Richard Olivier, um, it, it took two of you to write this book. It's quite a book. There's a lot of information in it. Um, But you state that we are at this turning point and to survive and thrive, we need help. And I would agree. Um, This book can, inside of businesses, bring that help. Um, And the important thing is, is that there, the important thing is, is that the listener understand the 10 archetypes. And I think it would be invaluable. I know you've just kind of explained them just 
prior to this, you went through the whole diagram and circle. Why is it so important to understand these archetypes at work? Because you've just gone through the realms, you've gone through the two in each of the realms, which gives us the 10. Um, so when somebody uh, takes this on as a project inside of HR or inside of upper management to understand this, which is what your Archetypes at Work company does, you help people go through this process. Um, what have you guys seen happen inside companies when you start to apply this? Because many of my listeners are managers, mid-managers, upper management, and they probably like to know because they're going to say, well, you know, we've used all kinds of assessment tools. Why your assessment tool? Okay. Great question. So you started out with the question about, you know, uh, change and that we live, you know, and, and survival and um, what's going on. So we wrote the book right before COVID came out right before COVID hit. And uh, I think we've kind of made that point because change has been accelerated in a way that, that few could have imagined a year ago. And um, some have argued that, you know, over the last year, companies have done five years of, of, of change and transformation and adjustment that, that an innovation that would have taken, you know, much, much longer had there not been the outside pressure of COVID. So um, we believe that the world is changing even more. There are all kinds of huge global shifts that are going on. Structures that we have believed in um, are crumbling and before our eyes and people are wondering what's next. And there's sort of a, a holistic sense of crisis in lots of the companies that we work with, you know, what can we do? So I would say that now more than ever, organizations must ask themselves, you know, what is their archetypal cultural pattern um, that, that has been their dominant pattern. And is this pattern future fit? Is this going to work in a changing world? And if not, what archetypes do we need to develop as an organization um, and that need to be brought into play more? That's what we do. We help people and organizations figure that out and then um, do training accordingly. So we'll give you a practical example. Let's say a, a company has an R&D uh, department that is um, tasked with coming up with new with new products or adjusting to changing times or something like that. We have gone in and made done an assessment and seen that in these thirty people that are costing millions of dollars every year to to um, employ, um, there is nobody who leads with um, the renegade, the the this sort of revolutionary part that says you know. Um, I change and I bring out new ideas. The renegade is by definition, the inventor. So if you have no renegades or no people really um, dominating with the renegade, sort of as their lead, what they step forward with when they come to work, then they're not going to invent anything new. They're going to you know, recreate, make, make a faster widget, but not a better new thing. So they won't be able to adjust that quickly. So knowing that for an HR department means they can now go out and hire somebody who leads that department, who is a strong renegade and develops those parts of the renegade um, that exist in everybody, but are might be more repressed because people are afraid to speak up because the culture doesn't allow it or innovation isn't as encouraged as they say it is or for whatever reason. And, and we can also go in and develop the renegade and do a renegade workshop, so to speak, for the group of R&D. That's extremely valuable to companies as we've shown. It, so that's it how actually it, helps. How I would think that it helps Lawrence, the, the company 
find out which people within the organization and actually if those people aren't on that team, where do we either recruit them from or bring them into? Exactly. So it accelerates that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It might be that you have, exactly, you might have great renegades in the accounting department. You may or may not want that, but you may. Right. And so they, they may be better off in R&D, that kind of a thing, yes. Right, exactly. Now, you stayed at the core of your work is this activating archetypal wisdom. That's all we've been talking about now is bringing out the wisdom of, of what these archetypes can do. How do you propose that our listeners go about this, no matter who they are, acting archetypal wisdom within the organization? So um, we suggest that as a person or a company looks towards the future, how much of the pattern that is currently there, and again, we can show you and help you to assess that pattern. We'll talk about that, I hope, a little bit later. But as once you know, this is the pattern, we are a, and, and for instance, I just show you the difference to, to become really clear um, between what we call our offering and the culture. So a company has a culture, which is sort of how they do things. And the offering is what they do. Those may not be the same. And I'll give you an example of archetypal thinking of how those could be different. So let's say a, a nursing home. Um, their offering or what they do in the world is they nurture people. That's a nurturing organization in our language. They take care of people. They promise in their advertising, they will take care of your parents. They will wash them, feed them, um, shelter them, clothe them, and take care of them and so forth. That's a nurturing activity. That's what their offering is. Their culture, however, how they go about that may be very warrior. So they may be very driven, very aggressive, have a very aggressive marketing department and say, we're going to kill the competition. We're going to go after every client in town. We're going to be very warrior-like in how we do it. That's an example of archetypal thinking. If we flip those around just for the sake of conversation, that would mean somebody who has a warrior offering. So that might be someone who's, let's say, a security company. We have attack dogs. We will put up fences. We will protect your assets. We will have, you know, flashing lights and sirens go off when something goes bad. We have cameras. We watch and protect you. We are a warrior. We offer warrior to you. That's what we do. Um, their culture may be nurturer. So it's a family business. They get together for lunch. They have a place you can bring your kids, you know, for daycare and so forth. They nurture each other. That's the way that they do business. That's how we start thinking about companies. And so now to answer your question, that's just to introduce what we're talking about. Now, as a company looks towards the future, um, they have to ask themselves, we believe, in this time of great change, how much of the pattern that is their core archetypal signature is really future fit and what do they need? And this is where the consulting piece might come in from us, which we also offer to identify the gap. Then we have online immersions, we have face-to-face, -face, we have experiential learning. We, um, we stimulate the archetypes in question to make them come alive in the people who work in an organization, either with leader, depending on the size of the organization, um, we work with you know levels of management, um, top 100 or or what whatever is necessary or right. mom pop situations as well. So the piece about the experiential, this is really huge. You know we've we've we believe that to really create change in an organization, you have to have an experience. We've been in experiential learning for 25 years, and we've created a mix for this archetypal work of poems, music, exercises, active imagination, sense memory work that activates the archetype from within or from without. It is a way of learning 
um, the understanding that even though, let's say, someone's renegade may never become their favorite archetype, they can learn how to act it and how to use it and how to become and how to make it part of their repertoire um, with training. And that's what we offer. There's an old saying that we have in the book on page 189 that it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. And so we, we really believe we come from a theatrical thinking that you embody something, you experience something, you have the physical experience, then you understand it much more than um, intellectually sitting around and doing it. You know, when archetypes um, first came up, sort of were sort of, you know, came, came into the mainstream of conversation, people sat around and talked about them, in, particularly in Jungian circles. Um, my father, of course, created archetypal psychology, and um, I'm very familiar with that world. And of course, um, there was a lot of, you know, thinking and talking and, and intellectualizing about them. But we know from personal development that we have to learn to act in these parts of us um, or we will never really embody them. So we believe that you can act in your desired future. That's what we do in our training. It's very, it's a physical engagement, which we have now brought online and are doing with people online all over the world in a very effective way. So people well, can I like, experience. I like the fact that it is experiential learning because that is how in essence uh, you shift your DNA. You also rewire and refire from the neurotransmitters in your brain. Um, and, and these are ways where you start to act out these parts, then you become these parts. Um, I think there was that old saying, you had 189. This wasn't in your book that I remember, but there used to be one, I think, therefore I am. I don't, not certain that we actually think, and there we are. Um, I think sometimes a lot of philosophizing goes on in between. Now you've got this assessment tool, which is comprised of 50 questions uh, that they can go to archetypesatwork.com and access, mm -hmm. and we'll put a link in the blog. And our, our listeners can take this uh, again at Archetypes. What's the purpose and the benefit of taking the assessment? And what will the listeners who are out there right now receive back from you from this assessment after they take the assessment? Okay, so there are two assessments. The first one is a free one that you just mentioned that's available in Archetypes at Work. Um, right now, essentially you answer 50 questions. It sends you a report by email, um, a, a PDF that essentially gives you a report, which gives you your top and your bottom archetypes, the one that you're the most comfortable with and the one that you're the least comfortable with. Again, the one that you're the most comfortable with is the one you're gonna step forward with into the world most naturally for whatever reasons, because you were raised that way, because it's your personality, because you think that's what's cool, whatever it is, that's what you show up with most of these 10. And the bottom one is the one you're gonna have the least relationship to. That's what that shows you. The purpose of it and why this has value is because it, it introduces you to archetypal thinking. You start to wonder, and if you do this with your friends um, and other people you are close with in all kinds of situations, you can start to have a conversation around archetypes. You start to wonder, and it's not typology in the sense that I'm this and therefore I'm not those other whatever in the system or in the model that you're using, you are saying, we all have this. Yes, I'm more comfortable with this, but I see that you over there have developed this part more than I have, and therefore I can learn from you something. So it's more about curiosity about what we can get from each other. It's an invitation to think in a, in a certain way. 
And the ones that are at the bottom are an invitation to learn what are the ones that you want to learn more from. It's a, this is a glimpse, this is an introduction, this is a teaser, a taste, if you want, of the archetypal world that we work in. The full assessment, if you want the real deal, which is a 20-page report with, um, with uh, describing all of them to you and how they rank and, and your comfort zone with developmental ideas and all kinds of thoughts of what you can do with them, how you show up at work, what you do, how you communicate, all of this is will be available about the early January. And we are finishing that right now and polishing that right now. And they're, they're both of them are scientifically validated and are very powerful tools that people have responded to very strongly. So the free one is available now for anyone to take and enjoy. And the, other and one, the other one will be available in January then. Correct, yes. Okay. Uh, we have it, we are working on polishing it and, and um, also creating some training for people to help others, um, so for instance, an HR person, to develop some training for people who can then use the report and, and help people understand it even better than the report itself does. So it's some kind of a debrief training that we're, we're in the process of writing. That's what really what's holding it up. We would like to have that available when the report comes out as well. So that Well, and I think more importantly for people in organizations that are in charge of uh, the learning, uh, the learning, the chief learning officer, it gives them tools for their toolbox exactly. uh, to work with employees. And that's what you've got to do. Exactly. Now, you speak about the archetypal shadows of too much. Mm -hmm. T-O-O-M-U-C-H, I'll tell my listening. What happens to these archetypes when they slip into the shadows of too much? <clears throat> that's a great question. So the ones that we're comfortable with, and we usually, talk, out of the 10, again, we use a, a theater metaphor. So we talk about your lead actors, you know, and we talk about the top three. These are the ones that you are most comfortable with, that you will readily access, that you have to have in your work situation to be happy. That's what you do. You step forward with these three in some combination, sometimes number two, sometimes number three, sometimes number one, but those are your lead actors. At the other end of the scale, you have the most or more offstage actors, the ones that you don't use so much for whatever reason, as I've described a couple of times today. Um, in the middle, you have five that are uh, what we call supporting actors, major and minor supporting actors. They're not quite as important. You can step into them if you need them, you can bring them along if you need them, but they're not really um, as, as, as dominant either as being present or as not being present as the, as the top and the bottom. So the too much are the archetypes that we are most comfortable with often also we overplay them. Again, think of theater. So we exaggerate them because we're so good at them and they serve us so naturally and easily. And there's a price for that. So for instance, if you are a warrior and you are driven and you, you know, you go for your goals and you meet your targets and you focus on what you do, and this is sort of your attitude. It is very easy for someone who is a, a dominant um, uh, warrior to become well dominant, to become um, a bully or to yell and shout or to become angry very quickly and to you know, sort of flip the switch kind of a thing. That's possible. And on the other hand, so, uh, on the too, too little level, as I said earlier, there's a cost. So for instance, the cost example that I brought was if somebody doesn't believe that the nurturer is important or is just not comfortable with the nurture because they don't believe that belongs for a leader uh, in their toolbox. That's just not important. As long as people get their job done and everybody functions, if I don't, if you don't like it here, go somewhere else, that kind of attitude, then, um, 
then the cost can be high turnover, for instance. Mm -hmm. and, and the cost to ourselves can also be that we feel um, you know, unloved, we feel uncared for, we don't know how to take care of ourselves, those kind of things on a very personal level as well. So there's a cost for overplaying the too much and there's a, and, and there's a cost for, for underplaying if you want the too little of any of these archetypes. We talk about the Goldilocks zone in the middle of that range from too much and too little where people want to ideally operate that's where the gifts show up and um, for any of the archetypes there's a whole set of gifts as as um as i have described well they're they're working they're working at their workplace optimally when they are in that zone um you know there's a a whole series of interviews i've done with stephen kotler on people trying to get to the levels of flow and I think these archetypes also relate to that as well, because when you're in the perfect kind of zone here, um, you actually are performing optimally. And that's what not only you should want for yourself, but obviously the corporation wants, because that's where the most productivity occurs. That's where the most creativity occurs. That's where the most innovation occurs. Now you and your partner, Richard, have developed two decks of these cards. I held them up earlier. And I'll just show them here. Um, here is another deck. What, and if you would, uh, how are these card decks to be used in conjunction with the book? Right, so I just wanna correct what you said earlier. We don't sell these as independent things for people to play with. It's not really okay. the idea of them. The uh -huh. purpose is that we use them when we do training. They're a tool for people in HR okay. or in training to help people do a self-assessment, essentially to lay them out. If they don't want to do the, if they don't want to do the online assessment or they don't want to do the assessment in the book, we can also use the cards. We have lots of different tools. The cards are a set of tools. The white deck is for organizations um, and for culture and and offering, as I described before, um, with that example I gave you. And the black deck is for personal development and for sort of and for leaders and for just having a sense of who am I and what are my top and bottom archetypes? So we, 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 there's a process that, that people who run our courses go through with people in a room and or online for that matter, where we, um, where we have them do a self-assessment. It's a process that takes a little bit of thinking and reflection because again, we want people to act into it and not just intellectualize it and get a sense of, of, of who they are. It's a very powerful experience. You mentioned this earlier. If you have a group of people that you're working with and everybody does this self-assessment with the cards and then we have them step onto a circle of the 10 archetypes on the floor that we, we lay out. And then, um, you know, you see where people stand, literally where they stand. And that becomes a really interesting conversation in the room. And then people say something. So we have this, these, these exercises, these, this training that we do with people that really deepens the conversation within a group. And we have done all of this online now, and it is extraordinary how well it works even online. Thanks. You know, thanks to the new world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah, we've had to switch things and that works. But the, card, the cards are part of a larger program, Greg. And so mm -hmm. we have a range of those. We have, um, we have you know, immersions that are coming up again. We have done um, um, several of those and are now starting another immersion where people can spend a whole day deeply immersing themselves um, immersing themselves into one archetype. These are life-changing experiences. I can tell you we've had leaders from around the world do these and individuals, of course, and they are quite extraordinary. Um, Richard does those. Um, again, they're done online now mm -hmm. and people 
have a full embodied experience, a whole day of one of these archetypes. So if you do all 10, you get a tremendously deep immersion into this way of thinking and imagining yourself as multiple inside and that you can step into these different archetypes for different situations as necessary. If you need to invent something, the rent being able to step into the renegade consciously is really helpful. If you need to defend something, stepping into the warrior is helpful and so forth. So let me all ask of you a question, Lawrence, because yes, yes. I think from from my perspective, I can see how you bridged um, I've known you for years for obviously astrology. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see how you built the bridge to work with archetypes at work very easily. Mm -hmm. um, but what you're, you're probably more known, we did the Planets and Play book uh, before, we've done other podcasts, I think a couple before this. Um, how does your astrology actually play into this? Um, because I think this is important to kind of give the listeners this bridge um, you had even said, you know, you're still doing astrological readings uh, for people. You're still doing, uh, you're still doing that work. Um, do you find it important? Do you find it playing into this archetypes at work? Do you see executives getting involved in that kind of activity? Um, there are certain executives that are very open to that. Um, they have astrologers that guide them all the time. That's what you've been doing much of your life. So I think it'd be important to answer that question before we wrap up our interview here. So the way I think about archetypal astrology, which is a particular kind of astrology, it sees the planets as archetypes, um, is um, an additional level of depth. Some of the people I coach, we use the archetypes at work methods without the planets um, in additional um, and the charge in addition and the whole astrological model, which simply can go much, much deeper. Um, and with some we do. So there's no, there's no, there are no rules. It depends on the person. Some people are comfortable with it. Some people are not. I never force anybody into any kind of belief system or anything different. Um, what we are doing is we are showing that the archetypal model is a very powerful model. The astrological model is also based on archetypes and the archetypes of the planets. They happen to be identical that we have based this model on uh, loosely on Roman gods and planets of the solar system, because that is a structure that even in times of chaos and decay, the, um, the movements of the planets is consistent, measurable, left brain, rational, and organized. One could argue that that's the only system that is organized and does not change over time is the movements of the planets. It is predictable. It is uh, precise. It is, um, it is uh, structured and it is cyclical. And so we can understand the universe and consciousness and human behavior um, through this model if we choose. Um, one does not have to believe in astrology. One doesn't have to uh, understand astrology. The method itself speaks for itself. It's highly effective. It has been tested with over 5,000 people or, you know, across the world. And um, the feedback that we're getting is quite extraordinary. So we can, we can, um, we can, what I suggest to people is give it a shot and see what happens. What happens right. to you when you try this out and does it change your life? And my sense it, it is it will, and not just your life, but your ability as a leader because of this breadth of insight that comes from a very, very large global, um, even universal perspective. Now, wrapping this up, you know, I think it might be great to look at this two ways. If you were going to leave our listeners with anything relative from the book, the use of the archetypes at work, 
how it would be used. But also, I'd like to get your uh, personal astrological viewpoint of this time in history right now, based on the planet's alignment, where you kind of see things headed. Um, you know, we've got a lot of things going on, an election coming up, a lot of uh, problems in the United States and globally. Um, and we, we certainly need to address much of this. It um, unfortunately doesn't look like it's getting addressed the way we'd like, but maybe the planets can tell us something different. So I would love to, the plan alignment anyway, as far as the energies are concerned, and how it affects people and how it affects people in communication. So two things. First part of the question is uh, the book and the use of the archetypes at work. And the second part is your viewpoint. And then we'll end the interview with that. Perfect. So for the, for, for the book, I think we've made a case that this is a way of thinking that is different from what's out there right now, mm -hmm. um, that it is a way for people, organizations, and even cultures in organizations to become future fit. And um, I suggest people go to archetypesatwork.com and, and read more and you'll provide a link and they can find out more yes. about this method. Um, people can contact me uh, directly. They can ask questions. I will answer as best as I can. Um, as far as the astrology of the time, if you go to my website, my personal website, which is lawrencehillman.com with a U, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-H-I-L-L-M-A-N.com, then you will find there a, um, a in the footer you will find an article that i wrote on covid uh, in the spring and on the changing times and how the changing times are reflected astrologically in this time i got a lot of feedback from that from around the world um, people feeling that they had a better sense of understanding about our times for that so i'm going to refer to that article rather than repeat all the different things that are going on but i will simply say broadly that there is obviously because as above so below is the core idea in astrology that if we know how to read the movements of the planets at any given time we also know how to read uh, the zeitgeist or what's happening in the world and so astrology is certainly not surprised at what's happening and we've talked about this uh, 2020 year um, for many, many decades, because one can see these things coming up. And so um, how it actually unfolds is always going to be um, the mystery, but that there is tremendous change and decay and breakdown is not unexpected to us. How long will it last? Um, that's the question I get asked the most. And my response to that is that if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. I think the question is not how long will it last, because change has been initiated. The question is, um, how am I personally responding to the fact that everything that I believed to be my structures and my scaffolding has now collapsed and will no longer come back in the same way? How will I, as a person in this world, be able to change and, and, and adapt to that? Because if I don't, I'm not future fit. That's the challenge that we have. It's not about waiting when we get back to things the way they were, because they're not going to get back to the way they were. This kind of a change historically is a change that is permanent. And so the interesting question is not how do I get back to where I was, but how do I change myself to adapt to a new world? That's a much more interesting question to me. That's what I like to help people with and not um, how long is it going to take until this is over? Because that's not the point. When these kinds of things happen in history, there is a, is, there is a dramatic there, change. There is no over. Exactly. Uh, the, and everybody asks, is this the new normal? Uh, that's also, to me, 
That's a limiting question. That's, that's not a limiting the, question as yeah, well. And it, 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 it implies that it's that things are bad. I do want to say one thing about that I bring up in the, in the uh, maybe end on Shakespeare here, just to honor also Richard's work and the whole theatrical part of our work. You know, in every Shakespeare play, there are five acts. Um, and in the fourth act, the, the hero or heroine goes into a complete crisis, sort of like the way the world is right now. And um, everything is horrible. Bedlam, you know, there's no future. They're in the dark forest. Um, everything is horrible. There is no way out. And it's desperate. There's total desperation. Right. This happens in every Shakespeare play in the fourth act. And um, then there's a fifth act. And if it's a tragedy, there's going to be some kind of a death in the fifth act. If it's a comedy, there's going to be a wedding in the fifth act. That's the, that's the model of that. We're all collectively right now in a fourth act of something mm -hmm. that's unfolding. Mm -hmm. Many people don't want to be there. It is natural that we all want to be in the fifth act, but you can't jump from the third to the fifth act without really going through the fourth act. And many people are just wishing they could close their eyes and it would all be over and then we're in the fifth act. You're missing the point. I would be more curious in asking myself, I wonder what the fourth act is about. And what is my part in this for myself? How am I going through the fourth act? What is dying in me? And what are the horrors in me that are waking up at three o'clock in the morning that I've never really dared to look at? That's the work that is interesting. And how am I going to change my organization, my company, me as a leader? How does everything change in accordance with that so that we can then collectively at some point go to the fifth act? But we're not in the fifth act yet. We're deeply still in the fourth act. So let's be in the fourth act collectively and really figure out what the values of that rather than jumping ahead because otherwise we're missing the natural unfolding of the story. I think that was a great analogy and a great way for us to kind of sum up this interview because it truly gives people a perspective using a Shakespeare play. Um, it's almost like Joseph Campbell. You can really kind of look at the same way, you know, he explained how this occurs and say, well, where are we in those acts or where are we in our adventure? And the reality is you are gonna learn if you go in depth. And I will say, I wanna thank you so much for bringing to light how these archetypes can be used in the workplace um, because that is one of the major areas where we're going to not only see shift and innovation and change, but we're all go also going to get from the fourth to the fifth act by collectively coming together at work and coming up with new solutions to all these problems we have. Um, it's not that it can't be done individually, but it certainly is done better when you're working inside of teams or inside of a company. And corporations will have a huge impact on this. So uh, kudos to you and Richard Olivier for the work that you guys are doing. Again, for all my listeners, go to archetypesatwork.com. We'll also put a link to Lawrence's website, which is Lawrence Hillman, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-H-I-L-L-M-A-N.com, just to repeat. And we'll put links to the book, um, which you'll be able to get on Amazon. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being on with us this morning. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to impart some wisdom on our listeners about the archetypes at work. Thanks, Lawrence. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure and thanks for having me.